Hello, world, and welcome to Business Technology Weekly Tech Republic's news podcast featuring essential headlines, top technology trends, and thoughtful stories. I'm Dan Patterson, and with me on this episode is Tech Republic's editor, Bill Detweiler. Bill, thanks for joining us. Hey, Dan. Always a pleasure. And Amy Talbot, our editorial assistant. Hey, Amy. Hello there. This week, we have stories about Microsoft and the blockchain, software-defined networking, and the NSA best practices from CIA Director Michael Hayden. But first, gang, let's do the news. Yeah, Microsoft is joining forces with Blockstack Labs to develop an open source blockchain-based identity system that could help protect people who don't have access to legal identification. You know, blockchain is the technology behind digital currencies like Bitcoin. And this project is really important because there are about 5 billion, with a B, people in the world without birth certificates like, you know, identification. So making them more vulnerable to crimes such as human trafficking, prostitution, and child abuse. Now, this project was announced at this week's ID 2020 Summit on Identity as part of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. One of the UN's goals is to provide legal identity uh, by the year 2030. And the idea is that blockchain-based identity could help toward that goal. You know, that's pretty crazy. If you think about there's, what, 7 billion, 8 billion people on the earth, that means way more than half of the people on the earth don't have uh, some sort of legal identification when they're born. So these protocols established at the SDG is, uh, it's a step in the right direction for all types of uh, human rights. And especially, it's a, it's a really unique take on the blockchain. A lot of people just think of the blockchain as Bitcoin and digital currency and that kind of thing. This is some way to uh, provide an open ledger of humanity. And it's something that, you know, in developing nations, most people take for granted having an identity and all the benefits that come with that, being able to prove you are who you are. But in a vast uh, portion of the world, that's just not the case. So it's a real, as you said, it's a really important project. And hopefully, you know, new technology comes along and makes the project, you know, the goals easier to easier to attain. For those ready to take the next step in network traffic control, software-defined networking is the answer. Tita Maddox wrote over at Tech Pro Research. Uh, about who is using software-defined networking, the risks, the costs, the benefits, and all kinds of really interesting data in uh, this report. You know, for decades, IT networks were defined by the hardware that they were made of, but virtualization and cloud technologies have really changed that model. Today, IT networks are not only hardware-defined, but software-defined. Now, this month's ZDNet and Tech Republic special feature is all about building software-defined data centers. Now, we examine how the software-defined data center will affect enterprise IT, looked at the role that open source will play in this movement, and explored best practices for implementing a software-defined data center. We also have a guide to vendors and tools that can help you manage a software-defined data center in your organization. We have original research on software-defined networking from TechPro Research, and we have an executive's guide to software-defined data centers that ZDNet and Tech Republic members can download for free. Yeah, and uh, we have um, a cool infographic as well based on um, the research that we did at TechPro Research. Um, and one interesting thing was that we did the exact same survey three years ago in 2013, and 50% of the people who took that survey said they didn't even know what software-defined networking is. 
So um, people are becoming much more familiar with it. Three years ago, 56% of people said they had absolutely no plans to implement um, software-defined networking at their companies. And now that's down to only 25% of uh, people who said they're not considering it. So it's it's really growing. Yeah, we've seen a really big shift in people sort of starting to actually implement software-defined networking over the last couple of years, you know, just with like most technologies, there's a little bit of a hype and then there's a little bit of a realization, Hey, look, this could actually make a difference in our organization and we can, we can use this and the tools are there. The tools, uh, the price has come down. It's a little easier now when vendors have stepped in and made it a little bit easier to people to use. So I think you'll see a lot more software to find things in the future. This week, um, venture capitalist Mary Meeker's Internet Trends List came out. This is a report she does every year that outlines global trends in Internet use, um, as well as shifts in the way the Internet is used as a tool for business. Among the trends she identified this year are the growth of messaging apps and platforms, the increase of voice input as a way to interact with devices like Amazon's Alexa, and the rise of autonomous cars or smart features in cars. And um, our writer and enterprise editor, Connor Forrest, outlined a couple of business takeaways from this in his article. Um, he said, since messaging apps are becoming the, quote, second home screen for most users, businesses should target these apps to stay in front of their customers. Um, and the second thing he mentioned that which was mentioned in the report was um, after seeing what a company like Amazon is doing to giants like Walmart, business leaders should start developing a contingency plan for dealing with potential disruptors. That's uh, kind of the, one of those business buzzwords that everybody hates. But uh, as he said, uh, people should start thinking about disrupting themselves before someone else does. Yeah, definitely. You know, speaking of trends, looking at trends in another important area of tech security, um, Michael Kasner, our security writer, did a piece uh, that looked at how former NSA and CIA Director uh, General Michael Hayden believes that vulnerabilities uh, or managing vulnerabilities is basically just sort of untenable for organizations. And really, they should shift their focus to managing uh, consequences and using a risk equation model. Um, th these, this equation is kind of simple to understand and it really kind of entails analyzing threats, vulnerability, and cost. And, and the key is to understanding how risk affects your organization. And this is something that while CEOs or um, other sort of executive managers may not necessarily understand all the technology behind threats, what they do understand is risk management. So it makes it easy to sort of put security in terms that C-level executives understand because that's what they really do. They manage risk all the time, whether it's financial risk or whether it's market risk. So the questions that every company really must ask are what tools, knowledge and access are required to make something a threat? You know, what human motivation is necessary? You know, who in your company have all these ingredients? Have, who, who has the tools? who has the knowledge, who has the access, who has the motivation uh, to exploit vulnerability. And uh, here's something that I was really excited about reading this week. Um, our editor, Jason Heiner, was recently in Paris, and there's a startup there that's hoping to use VR to enhance the experience at historical sites. 
Um, their first product was a VR headset set in a kiosk at the Place de la Bastille in Paris. Um, that's where the Bastille, the place that got stormed and started the French Revolution, would be if it hadn't been torn down in 1789. And a lot of people, uh, from what Jason said, go there thinking that the Bastille is still there and hoping to see it and then are disappointed. But uh, thanks to the power of VR, visitors can experience the site as it would have looked when the building was still standing. Um, so the company is pitching the idea to other historical sites, and they're also hopeful that it can be a way for people to experience future built environments like skyscrapers and stadiums. So, um, yeah, I kept saying that I, I would get excited about VR when I could uh, look at old houses <laughs> in VR, and I guess we're getting one step closer to that. That's really cool. I really like that use of VR, being able to see things visually, whether it's VR or some type of AR augmented reality, being able to see things that don't really exist in the world or don't exist where you're standing to see how it might be. Because, you know, having that spatial recognition, you know, being in the space and seeing what things might have looked like really gives you then, you know, an added level to the experience that you just don't get, oh, here's a photo. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about, you know, wouldn't that be kind of the same as looking at something on a screen? But, you know, really you get that like sense of scale, how big it was and everything. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping this will uh, will become a thing and we'll see it at more places. All right. So summertime is upon us in this summer. Millions of people will venture out into nature from mobile phones to fitness trackers. Many of these people will carry technology with them. It's really easy for us to think about tech as a modern idea and a modern invention, but wilderness expert, anthropologist, and adventurer Tom McElroy explained to Tech Republic how indigenous cultures have innovated with primitive gadgets and machines for thousands of years. And let me tell you, Tom's gadgets are super cool. You got to check this post out just to see his videos of what he builds using only a blade. At Tom's school, Wild Survival, he teaches everyone from kids to scouts to Navy SEALs how to build machines like debris huts, water pumps, and friction-based fire thongs. Tom believes that technology comes from nature and that going outdoors should be like going home. Hey, podcast listeners. Does the company you work for use a 3D printer? Are they considering getting one? Or do you think 3D printing is completely overhyped? At Tech Pro Research, Tech Republic's sister site, we're doing some research and we want to know your thoughts on 3D printing. Will it bring big advances in your industry or will it be a huge job killer? Take five minutes, seriously, just five minutes and tell us. There's a link in the show notes. If you take the survey, you'll get a free copy of the research report, which is usually only available to paying Tech Pro Research subscribers. Plus, you'll get our eternal gratitude. And that's worth it, right? And if you're into 3D printing, you should subscribe to our innovation newsletter. It's delivered to inboxes every Wednesday, and it's full of the week's best content about developments in 3D printing, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and more. Go to the website and click on newsletters to sign up. Tech Republic and Tech Pro Research publish a number of free and useful business technology newsletters. Each week, we spotlight a newsletter that summarizes the week's most interesting stories. The cybersecurity newsletter is focused on security news, trends, and best practices for responding to emerging cybersecurity threats. 
All right. Thanks for listening to Tech Republic's Business Technology Weekly. You can find links to everything we talked about on this episode at techrepublic.com. And we're easy to follow on Twitter at Tech Republic. Archived episodes of this podcast can be found at soundcloud.com slash techrepublic. Bill and Amy, thanks for joining us with the show and helping with the headlines. I'm always happy to be here. Yep. Thanks for inviting us. If you're a reader or listening to the show, we'd love for your voice to be a part of the podcast conversation. You can email us at podcast at techrepublic.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-389-5404. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon on Business Technology Weekly. 